0: From NPR Music, this is Alt-Latino, I'm Felix Contreras. As we continue our run of special programs in honor of Latino Heritage Month, this week we're going to hear from two Latina literary icons. Isabel Allende and Sandra Cisneros loom large over the literary landscape. In fact, their respective careers have a lot of parallels. They both published their first novels around the same time. Isabel Allende's House of Spirits was published here in the United States in 1982, and Sandra Cisneros published House on Mango Street in 1983. They are both outspoken about women's rights and social justice issues, and they are both adamant about writing what they know. In Isabel Allende's case, it's about life and love and death and being an immigrant here in the U.S. from her native Chile. While Sandra Cisneros' books touch on many of the same themes, but they are written from the perspective of a native of Chicago and all the trappings of a bicultural life. Yet their writing styles are distinct. Their subject matters don't often have much in common, and Isabel Allende writes in Spanish, then has her novels translated to English and many other languages, while Sandra Cisneros is the other way around. Her books have been translated into Spanish and other languages. What they do have in common is a vast fan base, and most likely there are a lot of folks who claim both as their favorites. Now, the reason for the interviews are new books. Sandro C. has just published a new work of fiction. It's called Martita I Remember, or Martita del Recuerdo. And Isabella Allende has recently published her memoirs, again, and it's called The Soul of a Woman, and she also has new fiction coming at the start of 2022 that will be called Violeta. Long, rambling conversations with writers. What's not to like about that? First up, Isabel Allende. Okay, one quick note before we jump into this. This conversation is part of a collaboration between NPR and the Library of Congress National Book Festival. For more information about the festival, visit loc.gov bookfest. Isabel Allende, it's an extreme honor and a pleasure to have you on Alt Latino. Welcome to Alt Latino.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure and my honor.
0: (laughs) Okay. The first question I have is like, how do you tell your own story after writing so many others?
1: Well, it's very different to write fiction than to write a memoir. And uh, there's some connection, though, in my case, because I lie all the time. So fiction is a bunch of lies. And when I tell my own life, I don't even know what's true and what I've made up. But it doesn't matter i have the right to create my own legend don't i so <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so for me it's easy to tell my life because it also has been a life of ups and downs of great uh, sorrow and also success uh of displacement so i have been always a foreigner a, a political refugee um an immigrant And uh, that gives me, um, how could I say it? That gives me the ability to look at myself and my life as if I was a spectator. I can look at it from a certain distance. And that helps.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the muse or inspiration and where you get inspiration for for the stories that you tell in your book.
1: I think that... I keep repeating certain themes that are like obsessions. I talk about love and death, uh, restorative justice, loyalty, courage, strong women, absent fathers. Um, And those themes come in different forms. It could be a historical novel. Why do I choose that period or that character? Because somehow it taps into what I'm trying to to sort in myself these themes that I mentioned, or it could be a memoir or it could be a literary fiction, a young adult novel. In every case, I go back to those themes. Now, where does the inspiration come? I think that often it's something that is in the air. Let me give you an example. Long Petal of the Sea is a story of refugees. And it's based on on the life of a man I knew when I was living in exile in Venezuela. And his name was Victor Pei. And um, Victor told me his his story 40 years ago, but I never thought that I would write it until the theme of refugees and migrants was in the air. And everybody's talking about it. And there's all this anti-immigrant sentiment and all this rhetoric that 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 impacts me enormously and then i remember the story of victor pay and i could write it so it it's timing why why something needs to be written now and not before or after because it's in the air
0: do you ever fear that uh you will run out of stories to tell
1: no how could i run out of stories every human being has a story i my my uh emails every day, I mean, they add up to the hundreds sometimes. And often, I would say several times a week, someone is offering me her or his story because they feel that their life are special and that uh, someone needs to tell it and they don't, they're not writers. And I cannot do that. I have to write about the story that is inside me, that is connected to me. I don't take other people's full stories, but I'm I'm often inspired by the lives of other people. For example, I have a foundation and through my foundation I get to meet the most traumatized and vulnerable and strong and resilient women. So I don't need to invent those characters, they are there. I just need to bring them into the writing. But I will never run out of stories. I will run out of life, that's for
0: sure. Hopefully that won't be for a long time. <laughs> um, well,
1: you know what, Felix, I'll be eighty next year, and I was telling my husband today that I feel stronger and more creative than at fifty.
0: I I have a personal theory that, uh, you know, women are made. Obviously, women are made differently than men. You guys, you guys get uh, get stronger and more powerful and more in, intense with the universe as you get older. It, it just happens. It's just, that's been my- You know r-
1: why? Because when we get older, we push men out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need them anymore.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I will add that to my theory, okay? <laughs> well, I do remember reading a quote from you that you like, when you write a, when you try to write about a romantic theme in your book you like to kill Liz, I, I kill him somewhere around page 112 because <laughs> I soon I can't find I find I can't stand the guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I always have that when I start the book I have that ah, that's such an attractive hero male hero you know he's dark he's intense he's idealistic he has long black hair. And then by very soon, you can't stand the guy. He's a jerk. And if I can't stand it, why would my female protagonist be in love with him? She has to kill him. (laughs) Well, she doesn't. I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That conversation with Isabella Allende was part of NPR's collaboration with the Library of Congress National Book Festival. For more information and lots more author interviews, visit loc.gov slash book fest. You are listening to Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras, and we're talking to two Latina literary icons this week. We'll hear from Sandra Cisneros in a bit, but right now, more from Isabel Allende. I want to go back to your foundation, because you mentioned your foundation, the Isabel Allende Foundation, and it's something that I read that really touched me, and I want to see if this is accurate, what I read, that it was inspired by a trip to India. That's something that happened during in a India. trip to India. Can you explain that, please?
1: Yes, I, uh, after my daughter died, I wrote a book called Paula and it became very successful. And of course I couldn't touch any of the income of that book because it didn't belong to me. It was my daughter's. So I thought, how can I honor my daughter? But I didn't know, I, I, I was thinking of a park. I was thinking of different things. And then I did a trip to India and in a rural, rural trip in, a, in Rajasthan, far away from everything, very hot. Uh, we had hired a driver and the, the car got very hot, so he stopped to cool the engine. And my friend Tabra and I um, saw a bunch of a, group of a small group of women near a tree. We walked to the women, and you know, women connect. We didn't have a language in common, but we started touching each other. And we had bought a lot of silver bracelets in, in the market, and we gave them the bracelets. They were very, very poor. And um, they had some children around. And then when we were leaving, one of the women gave me this little parcel of rags. And I thought she was trying to give me something for the bracelets. And I said, no, no, it's not necessary. And I tried to give it back, but she wouldn't take it back. So I opened these rags and inside was a newborn baby. I don't think the baby was more than a day old. It still had the umbilical cord. It smelled of of ashes and feces and, I mean, so little, so dark, so vulnerable. It was just a little, little creature. So I I kissed the baby, blessed the baby, and tried to give it back, and she wouldn't take it. And in that moment, the driver came running and took the baby from my arms and pushed it in the arms of another woman and, and dragged me to the car. And we had already started the car and we were driving away. When I reacted, I was so shocked. And I said, why would that woman want to give me the baby? And the driver said, it was a girl. Who wants a girl? And that was what what triggered the idea of the foundation. I couldn't help that baby. And to this day, I regret it. And I couldn't help that mother that was so desperate and so poor that she was willing to give away the baby knowing that the baby would be better with somebody else. But I said, well, maybe through a foundation I can help other babies like that little girl and other mothers like that one. And, um, and that was the beginning of the foundation. So the mission of the foundation is to invest in the power of women and girls.
0: And what kind of things have you been able to accomplish with the foundation?
1: We don't do any field work ourselves. I say, I talk in plural because it's my daughter in law and I. We run the foundation together. Um, we, we help finance programs that already exist or NGOs that are already working in the field. Let me give you an example. If there's an organization that is uh, working with, Uh, girls that are married when they are children, really, child marriage. We don't go there and do the work, but we invest in the the people who are doing the work. Right now, we are helping organizations in the border who are trying to help women and girls who are asylum seekers and are living in desperate situation in, in, in the campments on the other side of the wall, and they are victims of everything. I mean, of, of all kinds of abuse. They can be kidnapped and raped and murdered, and nobody cares.
0: Have you ever thought about uh, writing a character based on the baby that was? I used? have
1: already not not on the baby, but I have uh, I have written about many many of my characters are based on those women that that we help. For example, one of the of the women that we try to help uh, uh, in the border. A Guatemalan immigrant is the protagonist in my book uh, *In the Midst of Winter*, and uh, and so forth. I can I, sometimes I don't even have to make up the story. The story falls on my lap, full, complete. I just have to change a name.
0: I want to go back to your memoirs for a second? Were there any parts that were difficult to write?
1: My my latest little memoir is uh, *The Soul of a Woman*, and. Nothing was difficult to write. It, it it was all inside me and it was fun to write it. And I hope that it's fun for the people who <laughs> read it as well because it's much of it is tongue in cheek. There's a lot of serious material there because I'm, I talk about what ails women and the war against women in the world. The, unfortunately, I published it before, the, the events of the Taliban today. Um, but but this is, a, the Taliban is the perfect example of how there is a war against women and how women are the first victims in any conflict. Um, have you seen the pictures of massive, of multitudes of people trying to get to the planes? Yes. Have you seen any women there? They are all the women. The yeah, women they're are all men. The women are left behind with the kids and they will, they will fend for themselves. They are the first victims, and they will be the first victims of Taliban, not the men. So uh, there's, a, as I said, a lot of very um, harsh material in the book, but it's a conversation with the reader. And it's a, and it, like in any conversation around the kitchen, when we have a, having a cup of tea, it's fun also.
0: What is your writing process?
1: I start all my books on January 8th. <laughs> And can you imagine January 7th, what it looks like? <laughs> oh, my God, I'm a wreck. But by January 8th, I have freed my calendar and I can uh, really focus on the writing. And everybody around me knows, because I've been doing this for 40 years, that uh, that I'm not available starting January 8th. And then I, I can lock myself away and, and begin a book. Uh, Then, of course, I'm pulled to book tours. A lot of stuff happens, but I have the project and it's always in my heart and in my mind. And I try to work every single day for as many hours as possible. When I was younger, that would be 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. Now I can't. Now six hours and it's not that my brain is tired, my butt is tired. I don't want to be sitting down for so
0: long. And before uh, we end this conversation, um, I have to ask you about uh, two of your books, Eva Luna, and then the stories of Eva Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, the story, those two books in particular, but the stories of Eva Luna are still—I carried that around with me for many, many years, even when as I was traveling, just reading these stories in both English and in Spanish, because they oh. were so inspirational. How did that second book come about? Did you—is this something that you just set aside, like? Okay, I wrote this wonderful story about this great storyteller, and it left us all wondering. Well, what kind of stories was she telling? Exactly,
1: I got a lot of of letters and and messages and and people asking, well, where are the stories? I mean, this is a book about a storytelling teller, and there are no stories. It's only her story. I was living in Venezuela when I wrote Ivaluna, and uh, many of the of the adventures of Ivaluna, I got them from the newspapers because such a crazy, crazy place. I mean, Latin America is crazy, and, but but the, the, all the yellow press, you know, the, the, the equivalent of the National Enquirer and so forth, they published stories that were, of course, made up, but but wonderful. And so when I, when I decided, well, I finished Ivaluna and I came to the United States on a book tour and I fell in lust with a guy that eventually I married. But, um, the, I, I moved in with him without an invitation, and I didn't have a room of my own. His life was a mess, so I could only I, I would spend the day sitting in a bench in, a, in a, somewhere, or or in a coffee shop, or in the car sometimes. And the only advantage of a short story over a novel is that you you can do it in a short period of time. But it's a very difficult genre. If you are an aspiring writer and you think that writing short stories will get in, get you into it it's much harder just tackle the novel from the beginning <laughs> and so those stories are also based many of them on newspapers for example there's a story of a little boy that is sold for uh, for his organs and that 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 was published and that, that was published in many newspapers and that was something that the Catholic church researched. I didn't have to make it up. I read it in the newspapers. I just had to imagine the family of the little boy. There's, there's um, I, I, don't, I don't remember all the stories but there's another one of the little girl that was buried in the mud in a, on a landslide in, in, um, after an earthquake in, what, in Colombia. That, that was the Nevado Ruiz, the, the, the hill that, that sort of, the landslide came from that hill and it, it buried a town. And the image, the icon of this tragedy was a little girl trapped to her chest in the mud. And they, they could bring cameras to film her from all over the world. And they couldn't bring a pump to to suck the the, the water and get her out. And she died there. So. You, you see, the, the world is full of stories, and you just have to pay attention.
0: That story about the little boy and the organs—still, that's that's the one that haunts me. Oh, and you, you can't here.
1: imagine the slack I got from um, from in the United States because the the some organization of doctors said that was impossible. That no one was buying organs in this uh, in the black market in the United States. Well, they are, yeah. they were. I don't know if they still are.
0: Very, very powerful stories, very powerful writing. Isabella Allende, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Again, it's been an an honor and a pleasure, and we look forward to many, many more years of uh, reading your work.
1: Thank you, thank you, Felix. Take care.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Okay, Okay. bye. Bye
0: Bye-bye. My thanks again to Isabel Allende for sharing her time and her words with us both on this podcast and in her books. Next up, Sandra Cisneros, a writer who has been a guest on Alt Latino before. So this conversation is more like catching up. Sandra Cisneros, welcome back to Alt Latino. It's always a pleasure to have you here.
2: Thank you so much. It's fun. The last time we had a blast, you remember?
0: Yes, we had a bunch of stuff to talk about and you talked about serving tamales to the Beatles
2: yes that was my childhood fantasies that i would marry paul mccartney and i would serve tamales to the beatles i think that was many a young mexicana's
0: dream i think that that sounds about right i love that idea it was one of my favorite episodes too
2: (laughs) and i got to pick the songs remember like you you played like the songs from my life okay remember when i died to play that playlist i want to hear that my spirit's going to come around yank your feet if you don't. Okay.
0: Look, OK, if I'm if I'm here, then I'm, that will definitely happen.
2: Andale, you heard <laughs> it. Yeah.
0: So Sandra, you have a new book out. So tell us about the 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 essence of the story.
2: Uh, the story is about uh, three women with no money in Paris. And uh, it's about the protagonist, Corina, who they nicknamed Pufina and Marta from Buenos Aires and Paula from little crummy town outside of Milano. And they all are in Paris and have no money and meet each other and help each other and sustain each other through all kinds of traumas and and wonderful and horrible things. And uh, it's uh, the protagonist is actually uh, the story is kind of like if the protagonist was you, we were in her brain listening to her interior monologue. And, and it begins when she uh, is scraping varnish off a hutch in a Chicago apartment where she and her husband and kids live. And she remembers her friend and she goes in the closet and digs out the old letters from the time when she was young in Paris. And we travel back in time to her friendships and uh she examines her life and the choices that she made. So th- that's all I'm going to say without like, you know, giving away the, the ending. But it's a very beautiful story about people that come into our lives very briefly and they stay for an eternity and we don't know why and the mistakes that we made and the misadventures and adventures we had when we were young.
0: Is it reflective of some introspection that you're doing at this point in your life?
2: Well, um, it's a story I began 30 years ago and put away. And I don't think I could have finished it if you held a gun to my head. I had—I didn't have that perspective of having lived a life. So even though it's about a 20-year-old girl, it really is about looking back on your life uh, a decade and a half to two decades later And, you know, I I always tell young writers that, you know, to write about things that happened to you uh, 10 years or more because the farther away your story is, the clearer you can see it. And that's because if you were a participant or the protagonist of the story, you can't see yourself. You need at least 10 years. And I think that's why I couldn't finish this story before. I, I, I didn't need 30 years, but I was busy, you know, writing novels and writing other books and essays and or, organizing foundations. And finally, I could finish this story with the perspective that was necessary of having lived the life.
0: Two things struck me. The first is that um, the letters, like it speaks to the idea that we don't write letters anymore. We're always writing emails and texts and all these things that have abbreviated punctuation and and thought process. And this is, to me, it felt like a celebration of writing letters.
2: You know, um, I still write letters. Uh, I don't write them as often as I should, but I write them, especially when I wanna thank someone. And it requires energy, thought, time, You you don't rush off a letter, you create a beautiful letter as a gift to the receiver. And um, maybe people don't write letters anymore, but they should because you don't, uh, uh, you aren't hasty about the language that you use. You don't send off uh, dangerous uh, plant seeds that might make you misunderstood as we often are misunderstood in text. And in other kinds of short uh, letters, sometimes the tone is lost when I send things in text, and people get angry and I have to apologize. It just makes a mess. Whereas when you write a letter, you're forced to sit with your heart. And if you say something incorrectly, you can scratch it out, you can start again. You you really are uh, transforming your emotions and distilling them to your highest self and you know we don't have that habit with text you know i don't know about you i have spell check that sometimes says atrocious things and i can't retreat you know so i love the idea of writing letters and especially for a writer it's the most natural way that i can express myself and it's my highest self you know i i can say things and blunder and and then backtrack and circle to try to say. But when we're forced to sit on paper and write, it really does transform us and take us to uh, deep subterranean pools that we didn't know exist. You know, that's that's why we write. That's why I'm a writer, because I want to go to those deep, profound uh, places, and I want to share them with people I love.
0: Do you write by hand?
2: I still do, yeah, I do. I, I work on the computer, but I also work by hand. Uh, I, I like having a uh, little composition books. I usually have them all around, and especially when I'm traveling. And um, you know, then I transfer it from the page onto my laptop, but I, I work both ways.
0: The other thing that struck me, and, um, and that's something we talked a little bit about, is the idea of, of looking back on life. And I just, I'm just running into a lot of people. Maybe it's just because of my age or our age, you know, I, the people are looking back. We're in our sixties. We're looking back on, on things, like you said, mistakes, high points, all of that stuff. It seems to be a common theme these days. And I don't know if the pandemic brought that on or not.
2: I think, I think Felix, you're right. The pandemic was to me a spiritual retreat for all of us. Uh, it forced us to cancel a lot of uh the noise in our life and to become in a little more reflective. It was almost like going into a monastery or a convent of sorts and really sorting things out in your heart. Um, but I think also our age is one where we're seeing younger people and older people dying and a death being so close by with the pandemic that it makes you evaluate what's important you know, it makes you evaluate the and make priorities in your life. So I i have found as much as this time has been so painful, that um, it's also been very sacred. And I think that the painful times in my life have been sacred moments when uh, a, a part of you dies, and hopefully another part of you gets reborn. And I think we're in that as a collective community, you know, a, a death of of maybe some careless uh, practices and a transformation for us to one, realize that we're responsible for others and they're responsible for us. We're responsible for animals and we're responsible for the planet. And if we don't take care of them, <laughs> they can't take care of us, guess what? And so, you know, that kind of interconnectedness which uh, religions teach us is Absolute. We're we're seeing that happen now with the planet. So I I feel for those of us who are um, in our sixties, are we're especially taking a look at our life and uh, making sense of our mistakes. We learn so much from our mistakes. I think I learn more from my mistakes than I do from my successes.
0: The curious thing for me personally was that um, I my dad just turned ninety two, so. <laughs> So, yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm in my 60s. Uh, I have another, hopefully another 30 years to go. So I look back on my life, but also, and it's some of the, some of the things I got from reading the book to like celebrating who I am moving forward. Right. I think that that's, that's something that I got from, from your book as well. It's, I hadn't put all those pieces together, but once I read the book, it's like, yeah, I, this is who I am. I'm going to celebrate it. I got another 30 to go. So I'm just going to, you know, with that in mind, look at the past, but also look at the future. And I got that from the book.
2: Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad because, you know, some people thought that the book is sad. I don't see the book as being sad, but I, I began it and, you know, it became, it came from a, an autobiographical trip I made, but then it started gathering other voices and other women and, You know what, once I started writing it, I realized, well, there's a lot of people that took my path, wanted to become a famous writer. You know, that wasn't my dream. But, you know, I didn't want to become a writer, the famous part just happened. But, uh, you know, some people wanted to become famous writers, and they were right alongside me. And they're good writers, but they didn't They didn't make it for whatever reason. They went off and became social workers or moms or got married. And you know, I've seen that happen in my life with people that uh, I was uh, in the race with and I wasn't competing against them because we don't compete with each other in this life. We're all on our personal life path, but then they diverge. And at first you get angry and you think, oh, why isn't she following me? Why isn't she up to where I'm at? She should be surpassing me. But no, she had a different life, and it's a successful life. And maybe my life looks tragic compared to hers. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we have to. We we learn. Uh, I think a lot about maybe it's about honoring wherever whatever camino we're on. I always think of us being on the caucus race, like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and we all begin in a different place, and we end in a different place. But guess what? We all win. We all win. And as long as you know you're not competing against one another, it's okay.
0: How did it feel to be able to get this book out, this this bit of uh, fiction out?
2: Well, you know, let me tell you, I began it 30 years ago as part of the collection Woman Hollering Creek, and it, it wasn't done, and it didn't fit in with the theme of the others. So I put it aside. I always loved this story. It's a beloved story of mine, and uh, I always meant to get back to it. But I, I had problems. I couldn't get the middle and the ending. You know, weren't there? And I thought it might be wanting to be a novel rather than a long short story or novella. But I tried that, and it, it didn't. It didn't want to be that. I, one of the things I've learned about my writing is, I can't impose what it wants to be. I just follow it, and. Um, I wanted to keep the connection with them when they're in different continents. And um, then the ending came more recently. And uh, I believe it's because that that, uh, long view that one has when you're in your sixties, even though my protagonist is not in her sixties, she's at the end of her thirties or in her early forties, but you need that long view to make sense of your life. I also, I'm going to put this out there, this, I, I did the audio and I did the audio in Spanish. It's the first time I've done the Spanish myself. And I have to say it reads really beautifully out loud. I think, um, I hope it inspires some theater company to perform it. It's just the right length of a performance. is what the nalgas can take, you know, only like an hour and a half. And that's it. It reads beautifully. I did it with two actors so I can a test that it works really well. It's like a four voice four actors, three women and one man to play all the male parts. I, I hope I see it performed one day. And that's what I'd like.
0: The, the, now that you bring it up, the the it's a bilingual book with the English on one side and you turn it over and then it's the Spanish.
2: Translated by Liliana Valenzuela, who's been translating my work since beginning. You know, we're friends for 30 years or more. She's a writer and uh, studied as an anthropologist and a poet. And so I couldn't dream of a better translator.
0: Did I read this correctly that you moved from San Antonio and you now live in Mexico?
2: Yes, I'm speaking to you from San Miguel de Allende in Guanajuato.
0: You were famously uh, tied to that city. What was the the inspiration for for moving to Mexico? And how long ago did you move?
2: Well, I came here in 2011 and then moved here in 2013. And uh, you know, I was just feeling my roots in San Antonio had dried up. I was like, you know, I didn't have any more um, joy being there. I was a caretaker for lots of writers and um, I got very distracted from the foundation work I did for Maconda, the writer's workshop and Alfredo Cisneros del Moral, the grant giving institution I created. I just was getting uh, in a rut and not feeling happy and I thought well I need to finish my book of essays a house of my own and uh, you know I like San Miguel I'll rent a house and finish the book here and then when I finish the book I'm going to hunt for my new home I'm going to search for where I will live and uh, I finished the book about 2015 here in San Miguel and Everybody knew that knew me here in San Miguel that I was going to stay. I was the last one to find out and I figured, oh well I, I guess this is it. But I also had an experience that I wrote about I wrote about in the last chapter of House of my own that uh, was a connection with the with the spirits and they gave me permission to pick up and leave. If it had come from my head I would have doubted it but it, it came from Masaya.
0: Do you, did that change your perspective on language, uh, being immersed in Spanish? Did it? Is that? Did it, for, for example, did it help you with the the reading out the book on tape, or the, well, of the book?
2: Yes, it did. You know, because uh, well, first I had there's that joke that Cantinflas, who lived here, used to make. He said that he couldn't live in San Miguel, porque no hablo inglés. That was his joke? Because <laughs> English is spoken so much here. There's so many expats. So. Yes, I am immersed in Spanish, but I'm also immersed in English, and that's what I like, both. And having both languages helped me um, to be brave enough to perform my work in Spanish. But I still had to practice. You hear that puppy barking in the background? Yes. I practiced so much that, that my cook started calling her the name, the nickname of my protagonist. So that's Pufina barking in the background. <laughs>
0: This is uh, just meant to be a very short uh, catch up to you, you know, to talk about your book, but also to catch up and... Because and, you have so many fans here and so many people who follow you uh, and all the work that you do, like you said, all the, um, the nonprofit and, and the, the, uh, the work that you do on the side, said so a lot of people are interested in just catching up to you and hearing you see what's up with your life and the idea and the fact that you know you moved to Mexico, but you're still putting out you know great literature, you're still putting out books. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure to just catch up to you and find out what's going on. So, thank yep. you so much.
2: Thank you, Felix, for this opportunity. And I just want to uh, say how much I appreciate your, sh- your talking to you, being on your show. Uh, Siempre me siento a gusto. You know that's rare that you could feel so at home. So thank you and your team for having me.
0: Thank you very much, Sandra Cisneros, and uh, look forward to having you back again.
2: In person, right?
0: Yeah, maybe maybe we all go down to San Miguel Allende to do it
2: there. Come over here, I welcome you, that would be fun.
0: Thanks again so much to both Sandra Cisneros and Isabel Allende for joining me here on Alt Latino. Martita, I Remember You is the name of Sandra Cisneros' newest novel, 2022, we'll see Violeta from Isabel Allende, while her latest memoir, called The Soul of a Woman, is out right now. As always, thank you so much for listening to All Latino from NPR Music. And let me remind you that we are in the midst of a Hispanic Heritage Month celebration with a takeover of the Tiny Desk Concert Series. We call it El Tiny. 10 performances from 8 different countries and cultures. Check out each performance at npr.org/music and also on the NPR YouTube channel. We also have a ton of stuff on Instagram, live interviews, some shorter reels, stories. Check us out on the NPR Music Instagram. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Felix Contreras. Be safe. Vax up. The music this week is supplied by David Schulman and Quiet Life Motel.